You're listening to the Blue Marine Foundation podcast, sharing our passion for the wonders of the ocean. La mer qu'on voit danser Welcome to this edition of the Blue Marine Foundation podcast, presented by me, Amanda Carpenter. Blue's vision is a healthy ocean forever for everyone. As a not-for-profit charity, the foundation is dedicated to creating marine reserves, restoring vital habitats, and establishing models of sustainable fishing. We hope these podcasts will bring you a glimpse of Blue's work above and below the waves, in the waters around the UK and in oceans far away. By sharing our stories and our passion, we know you will come to love and treasure the ocean and its wildlife as much as we do. Today, our conversation is all about fish. More specifically, local fish, those that are native to the waters of the British Isles, and how we can protect them, catch them sustainably, and for non-vegetarians, cook them, with our special guest chef and restaurateur, Mark Hicks. So let me welcome our other guests. From Blue Marine, we have Joe Coombe, who is the Head of Digital Campaigns. Joe, welcome. Hi, Amanda. And Morven Robertson, who's the Senior UK Projects Manager for Blue Marine. Welcome, Morven. Hey, Amanda. It's great to be here today. So before we talk about COVID, which inevitably we're going to, and its impact on fish and fishing, can we maybe set the scene a little? We're an island nation and we've had a long love and history for this of the sea and all its bounties. But over the last 50 years, our tastes have changed and we are no longer catching and eating the diverse range of fish that we used to. This has led to overfishing of some stocks, exporting of others we might once have eaten, and an actual change in the nature of our relationship with fish in the sea. More than to set the scene for us, can you tell us a little bit about what's actually out there in the sea and what we catch and where it goes? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a lot of us think of the seas around us and think of you know cold water, muddy estuaries and crabbing off the pier. But the seas around us are full of a staggering amount of beauty and diversity and they are really productive and have been for, you know, centuries. They've supported, you know, huge fishing industries and herring, you know, herring that we once travelled around the UK catching has been really important for our kind of social fabric and, and heritage. We've seen a huge amount of change, technology and destructive fishing practices and global markets have completely altered the way we source fish and, and eat, uh, eat seafood um, but we are we still have a really vibrant fishing community we've got over 6,000 fishing vessels in the UK almost 80% of them are under 10 meters so these guys are small scale they usually own their own boats head out in the morning set a few nets come back in the evening um, and you know are really essential parts of, of many communities around our coastline and they target a really big diversity of fish. I think people would be pretty surprised at how many different species that you, you can find. Um, you know, and fishermen fish to the seasons like, like lots of things. So, you know, over the winter it's very rough and stormy. Lots of boats don't get out, but come January, February, March, starting to gear up again, you know, fishermen will be going out setting pots for crabs, lobsters, whelks different traps in the summer for cuttlefish you've got set nets for flatfish like sole um you know place turbot brill um you know fishermen use rod and line to catch sea bass and mackerel and as we come into kind of autumn there's lots of rays uh, and you know other demersal fish around so huge diversity available to us on our doorstep 
Today, unfortunately, about 50% of our fish stocks are either data deficient or, or overfished, and this is causing huge problems for the fishing community. But something else that's changed is we, we've really changed the way that we um, buy and sell fish in the UK. Gone are the days when you'd you know, run to the shop and buy salt herring for breakfast. You know, we don't eat lots of the fish that we catch, and a huge amount is exported. And is that because our tastes have changed or is that, and this is probably a slightly difficult question, is that more to do with the politics and economics of fishing? I think today's world is a a global world and as global markets have um, developed, there's been a real demand from other countries for the kinds of fish that we land. Um, You know, we land an enormous amount of shellfish around our seas um, and they are really um, species that are um, of high value to countries in the EU and and also Asia. And these markets have really completely changed um, the way that we we go out to sea and, and kind of source different types of fish. So yeah, I think there's been a huge um, impact from markets, but also people have completely changed what they like to fish. You know, we, we don't really eat much of what's caught um, here in the UK. We import an enormous amount of fish and we like to eat tuna, cod and salmon from Norway and, and prawns from Thailand. We don't kind of like to go down to the fishmonger and uh, see what he's caught. Is that because, I mean, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by that because the, the sorts of fish that you, you mentioned sound, you know, delicious to a fish eater um, and offer much more variety. So I'm surprised that, that, that people are choosing to eat such a narrow um, range of, of fish. And I'm wondering if that's because it's an active choice or if it's just part of the way that the industry has developed. And so that, you know, the, that, that's the fish that appears on the supermarket, um, you know, in supermarket counters, rather than the fish that we possibly would choose to eat if we knew we could get it, you know, at a reasonable price reasonably easily. Yeah, I think it's a number of reasons. One, a lot of this fish costs a lot of money because there's markets abroad that are willing to pay really high prices. Another is the kind of fish that, you know, where we buy our fish typically for me in, you know, is the supermarket because that's easy. And in the supermarket, you really don't get access to fish that's been caught on our shores because there's a very complicated kind of seafood supply scheme. So a lot of it's imported. And I think a lot of people are just... um, wary and a bit cautious about how to cook a lot of these things you know if you get a whole lobster delivered to your door how, how do I take that apart how do I figure out how to cook it that it's a, it's a bit daunting especially if it escapes around your kitchen um, but obviously some of these things are changing and and with so much of of the impact of that we've seen from covid the change has been forced upon people very quickly and we wouldn't necessarily have chosen it we certainly wouldn't have chosen the impact that the virus is having on our lives but but the but but one of the impacts of COVID is it's actually forcing a change in, in that fishing and fish market. And Joe Blue, you've been really focusing on this, haven't you? Because you've, you've, you've had your fish for dinner campaign. But tell us where that came from. Why has COVID had such a huge impact on our, our fishermen? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, it's unprecedented times, very strange times. There's n- never been anything like this before that we can look back on and draw experience from. So we were flying it alone and in very new circumstances Essentially what happened is the fishermen lost their route to market with the trade of the export market and uh, restaurant trade. And what we had to do was find a very quick way to connect the sustainable fisheries to a route to market directly into the community. Not just that, we wanted to message it very carefully, this campaign. People at the very beginning of COVID didn't feel that they were in a position to help any other part of the community because essentially they were looking after themselves 
people couldn't find food in supermarkets they couldn't get delivery slots uh, a lot of people were isolated couldn't even get out to to source food and we knew that their the pressures on them were much more close to home and so the messaging in the campaign was very much towards helping the consumer as much as it was the fishermen and we wanted to help them source food for their fridges and connect their local fishermen directly to them. And that's where the root of the, the campaign began from, uh, local fish for dinner that you could directly contact your fish merchant or indeed the fishermen themselves and source straight from the quay or straight from the fish merchant. Many in cases, they were delivering straight to the door. Okay, so this is very local fishermen. So this might be um, family boats or or perhaps small, small um, as you said, artisan fishermen, not an expression I'd heard before. So people who were fishing um, much more in a sort of sense for those 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 higher um, high end in terms of expensive, but also more native fish. So this isn't the big trawlers going out and fishing stocks and then shipping that stuff to Europe. This is more of our local fishermen in our local communities. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, these are the fishermen who would have been um, supplying to uh, to local restaurants. Uh, but as Morvan touched on, it's not necessarily fish that people had seen in their kitchen before. So connecting people to those uh, fishermen is just the first part of the campaign. All of a sudden, people, as you mentioned before, <clears throat> are faced with what do you do with putting a live crab or a live lobster in a, in, in a, in a pot of steaming water and that turns a lot of people off how do you even prepare the fish how do you fillet the fish what fish have you even got because a lot of um, merchants were producing fish boxes and you get a you get a you know lucky dip um, so the next step for blue was really connecting uh, chefs into the mix which is why we called on mark hicks among others to help really the consumer understand what they've now got in terms of the fish and how to then prepare it, how to, how to cook it. And we're hoping this will actually have a, a long-term effect and that um, the other side of, of, of the lockdown, if there is an ever another, another side, um, people will start to shop differently for fish and start to think differently about how they eat fish and what fish they eat. I think that would be um, a huge benefit, not just to those individual fishermen, but presumably to the fish and the sea stocks as well, Morven. I mean, isn't the problem, though, that you mentioned overfishing a few moments ago, isn't the problem that we are just fishing far too hard in our waters? I mean, is there really enough fish to go around for people to eat fish on a regular basis once or twice a week? Or do we just have to reduce the amount of fish that we eat generally? I think there's absolutely enough to fish to go around. I think it's about making sure that we're catching them in the right way and we're making sure we do that in a way that doesn't harm the habitats that they need. And really that's what a lot of our work at Blue has been about in the UK and elsewhere is working with those communities and the fishermen that you know go out in tiny six metre boats in the morning, come back in the afternoon, fish on their own and, and fish with fishing gear that is really, really low impact, only catching what they need you know, not catching any other species that might be kind of harmed and not digging up the seabed. It's those kinds of methods that, you know, we should be looking more towards. And I really think that this campaign has shone the light on the huge proportion. You know, we've got 79% of the UK's fishing fleet are under 10 metres. And yet we barely get an opportunity to ever access or buy their fish because so much of it is exported. You know, so I think this is a real game changer for us to say, you know, why, why don't we have access to the fish caught by the fishermen down the road? You know, why is it so hard? We've got to change the way we buy and we've also got to change what kind of fishing boats and, uh, and industries we support. 
So that's a fascinating statistic. Nearly 80% of the UK fleet is under 10 metres. And that means they're not doing that big trawler, big line fishing. They're catching those local species that you talked about, the gunnard and other things. Um, and, but they presumably are, have a premium price tag. So is this affordable? I mean, you know, the, the food poverty and affordable food is a real issue in the UK, yet never more so than now. Um, so support i can see supporting that kind of fishing industry is vital in terms of habitat and communities but is it affordable for ordinary people average people to be able to afford to buy uk fish and is it affordable for the fishermen to sell them to the uk market rather than getting those premium price tags by sending them off to to other parts of europe and even the far east joe is it is it really doable um, I believe so. I believe that what the campaign has done um, is essentially taken out the middleman. So I think that there are a few a few rungs in the middle that won't be getting their cut. And essentially, we are um, happy for the fishermen to and want the fishermen to be getting a, a premium price for their product, but keeping it still very affordable for the consumer. And I think that that's exactly what we've we've managed to do with this campaign. And that's because we can actually buy online now, can't we? I mean, and the, and the sorts of, of uh, uh, fishermen that you're backing in the in in the fish for dinner campaign, and the kind of um, the ones that you've been focusing on around the the country. And just remind me, where are those? There are some in in Lime Bay, but they're all over, aren't they? Yeah, we've got them in Lime Bay. We're working with fishermen in North Devon, up in Scotland, on the East Coast, in Berwickshire. We've got, you know, another four fishing ports. We're also working over in Jersey, where actually we've seen a huge uh, change in the way fish is being bought there. So Jersey's a really good example of a fishing fleet that pretty much lands everything to France or exports to elsewhere. And all those markets have completely shut. They cannot land in France anymore, really, just small amounts. And the upsurge of community support to start buying direct off fishermen has been incredible to watch and really amazing to chat to the fishermen that we work with over there who are now saying we might not go back to the way that we did it before it's been a complete game changer um but i do think you know all these grassroots projects are incredible but we are going to need government support and investment to really follow through post-covid to make sure that we we change and we relocalize our supply chains you know and really invest in infrastructure to keep this going Another good example um, using Jersey is uh, the campaign that we set out online. We did some social media ads and the ads reached nearly one quarter of a million people, the majority of whom were based in Jersey. And actually the demographic where we'd normally set social media ads, we'd expect to see a return of quite a young demographic between 25 and maybe 44. Actually, these ads, when we got them back, discovered that they reached a very unique demographic for social media, and that was women over the age of 65, particularly in Jersey. So what we discovered is that we were actually particularly reaching the most vulnerable, potentially isolated parts of the community, which is really important to us to know that, that we're helping those people. Yeah, and I think that, that obviously that what's extraordinary about the experience that we're all going through at the moment, COVID, appalling as it is, and, and you know, we, we know that this is not the way we wanted to change the way we lived our lives and the way we wanted to slow down climate change. But some of the impacts of that are that people are looking much more closely to home. Obviously, we're all, we're all under lockdown. We have to look at what's at the bottom of the street or the bottom of the road. And and so that encouraging people to think about local sourcing, I mean, it's something that, that, that you hear people talking about all the time across the whole food sector, not just across fish. So that's obviously vitally important and I'm really interested in your point Joe about the economics of this by taking out that part of that distribution chain and allowing people to buy direct um, 
that must make it more sustainable both for fishermen and for for consumers and we've also got to perhaps build on that relationship to change consumer attitudes so you know dare i say educate people as the to the you know the value of different types of fish and the, the pleasure of eating different types of fish and the opportunities as well and things you can do with them because you know i think it's can be a bit of a challenge if you're not an experienced cook to suddenly be even just you know faced with a whole fish i mean where do you start you know you don't necessarily want the head and the tail um so i think there's a lot that we could do to to learn from that and obviously having mark on the program with a a, a recipe and a, a um an explanation of how you go about cooking fish is going to be very helpful we've also recorded a few of his um videos his recipes which are on blue marine foundation's social media pages so do go and see those um if you have if you're if you're so inclined uh, yeah, he's really very cool i have to yeah. see him padding about on his deck with his outdoor oven and his fish and seaweed i mean that is a hugely um enjoyable experience just just to watch let alone to to learn some cookery techniques um but but could we perhaps talk a little bit about the overall um aspect of sustainable fishing because we focus very much on the 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 local fish for dinner campaign and i can see that's really really important but this is presumably just part of the work that you're doing at blue about sustainable fishing because because that is one of the big issues about fishing across the world isn't it the sustainable versus the unsustainable and our demand so often for volume um when it comes to to catch that we 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 support you know what are effectively very very unsustainable methods of fishing you know bottom trawling long lining you know pulling up everything from the ocean bed when actually we're only looking for certain species can you perhaps tell us a little bit more about what blue does around sustainable fishing and sustainable oceans generally absolutely so in the uk our work is really focused on working with fishing communities like lime bay to make their fishing practices more sustainable and then make sure that they kind of get an incentive from that so you know we've really worked hard with them and a lot of our work is giving fishermen the tools and the platform to kind of come together and set their own conservation limits you know often you find fishermen know what's going on at sea and know how different species should be treated at different times of year way better than the scientists you know and often they're just not given that opportunity to take part in conservation and management so huge amount of our work is working down on the ground with them to look in and investigate on species and bring in better management for them and you know we've built some really amazing models across the uk where fishermen are not only fishing in a better way which means you've got a huge you know flourishing of marine life but their fish stocks are kind of bounding back and then we're building to make make sure there's kind of markets that are willing to pay more for that kind of sustainability and it's those kind of models that really showcase low impact methods that you know support fishermen who live in the communities that you know the fish are caught in and uh, own their own boats that we're really supportive of on the flip side we really work to tackle some of the worst things that happen out at sea um things that you know you'd be completely shocked if they happened on land um you know over the last few years we've been involved in a really big campaign in the north sea to stop pulse fishing um which happens you know believe it what, or what's not what's pulse fishing more than well pulse fishing is essentially a type of fishing which electrocutes just above and almost touching the seabed and it stuns Ooh. the fish and then it brings a big net and catches all the fish within it and unfortunately this isn't only you know pretty bad for the fish and anything else that's moving around but it's been shown to kind of be able to kill off anything on the seabed as well so the, all those fish eggs and corals and you know sponges and sensitive things that are just hanging out having a nice time on the seabed in the north sea uh, it's pretty bad time and our work working with other partners like bloom who are 
another incredible charity um, based out of France, um, kind of revealed that this is not only a really unsustainable way to catch fish, um, but it's happening in some of our biggest conservation areas, you know, within marine protected areas, areas designated to conserve, protect, enhance marine life. And these are actually hotspots for some of these terrible activities. So we do a lot of work trying to stop these things. And is that something that, that's a kind of part of that, the European fishing debate? Because it would be very difficult for us to have this conversation about fishing without mentioning Europe and the impact of Europe. And, and obviously, you know, fishermen and fishing and UK waters is a kind of lightning rod for the whole Brexit conversation. So is that pulse fishing something that's been happening under the kind of EU's watch? Or is it something that you think you'll be able to persuade the European Union to legislate against? So it happens legally, but thanks to our campaign, we've managed to get it banned. So that was an enormous win. And fantastic. I think, yeah, it's, yeah, just been fantastic. Just to clarify, the vast majority of vessels that we were trying to stop in our Stop Electric Fishing campaign with our partners Bloom in France uh, were vessels from Europe, uh, not the UK. It was We were involved because it was UK waters and what we were hearing from our fishermen was that anything off 12 nautical miles off the coast, they said it was like a graveyard. There was just nothing alive. All the juvenile fish had been uh, electrocuted, uh, literally. Uh, cod had their spines broken. Um, and that's why we got so heavily involved in that campaign. So it was a brilliant win when the EU banned it last year to come into effect, um, as Morvan says, in June of next year, so in 2021. And uh, it's, a, it, it's a tale about precautionary fishing, essentially, because the vessels were there under the guise of, of doing research. And essentially what we ended up with in the North Sea is around 90 vessels laden with this extremely destructive uh, electric uh, yeah, pulse, pulse gear. Um, all under the guise of research. And uh, it's very difficult then to unpick that legislation and to prove that actually what they're doing is not research, it's just destruction. And that we should, we should uh, very much more apply a precautionary method in the future to, to anything that we don't know enough about in the first instance. I think Brexit, you know, obviously for the fishing industry, they were one of the biggest supporters of leaving the EU. Um, I think the EU kind of shone a light on access to fish and the kind of um, inconsistencies there, especially for small scale fishermen, the fishermen we work with, they really don't have access to catch a lot of the species that are found around our shores. And I think, you know, um, Brexit will be an opportunity to see if we can address that imbalance and try and work with the fishing industry to redistribute some of this quota and access to fishing grounds towards those who are doing more sustainable practices. And that's, you know, when you think coming back to that statistic, almost 80% of these fishermen are under 10 metres and are fishing with sustainable methods. And, I, and yeah, I think they have access to about 4% of the quota that Britain gets, they really don't have, you know, they don't get much to fish with at the end of the day. So, so Morvan, that's a fascinating statistic. So you're saying only 4% of that quota is available for those small fishing boats, those under 10 metre boats. Um, so where's the other 96% going? Yeah, this is a real big misconception, I find, um, when I talk to people about uh, quota access to fish and the kind of fishing industry in general in the UK. So the UK is part of the EU at the moment and every year it gets given a, a chunk of the quota piece. Um, and although they get given a proportion, it's completely up to the UK how they split that up. And through privatisation, um, the little guy has 
you know, in my opinion, completely been put to one side. And, you know, we've got almost 80% of these guys who are under 10 metres, and yet they have access to about 4% of that quota pool. So, you know, that's, that suggests there's a problem there. And really, personally, I can understand why so many people, so many fishermen around our coastline were so pro leaving the EU. But I think, you know, it slightly got lost there as to why we're in that position. I'm not quite sure it was the EU's fault. <laughs> yeah, so the issue here really is, and I think it's part of your local fish for dinner campaign, isn't it? It's a call to government to, to readdress how it supports the fishing industry and to ensure that the support goes to the people who are fishing sustainably. And on the whole, they're the smaller boats and the family fishermen and people who've been doing it for possibly hundreds of years. So that's about our understanding of being local and having a local responsibility for both our waters and our land. And that's something I think that is a, a message coming out of, of the current COVID crisis loud and clear. People have reconnected with the local and that can only be for the better. And Local Fish for Dinner is a way of definitely a way of doing that. Um, jo, how can people get involved in Local Fish for Dinner? Well, find us on social media, hashtag Local Fish for Dinner, or go to Blue Marine uh, Foundation's website, of course. There's lots of similar initiatives going on around the country, but we particularly recommend going through local fish for dinner because you know that what you're getting there is sustainable. Mm, really, really important. Um, and how are the fishermen themselves reacting and are they surviving? Because obviously this came at the, just the worst moment, having probably laid up their fleet over winter and they were ready to go for a, for a spring and summer fishing season and, and perhaps you know, re, regroup a bit financially. How, has, how, how have they been impacted and how has Fish for Dinner helped them? Feedback from Jersey actually was really interesting as Morvan says it's probably one of the best served in terms of its local fisheries and now connecting that very small and close community back to its fisheries and we spoke to a fisherman there actually a fish merchant there who said that he was as, as busy as he normally is mid-summer so I think it's done extremely well uh, time will tell we obviously need to debrief with the fishermen who are extremely busy uh, at the moment and are often quite tricky to get hold of because they're busy doing their business uh, but yeah this will be interesting one to debrief and, and, and see how it's worked for everybody and as Morvan says how can we uh, learn lessons and actually affect things post-covid yeah, and that's about taking those communities with you and and not just the fishermen and the um, uh, themselves, but actually the consumers and the customers and teaching us all that we need to be a little bit more adventurous in our fish eating habits and also look to, to um, you know, buying fish locally and sourcing fish locally. Um, do you think it might be time to turn to Mark because he's going to enlighten us as to how we could possibly um, approach uh, uh, cooking a fish that we may not be familiar with. Mark's based in Lime Bay, so this is probably coming from his his deck. Who knows? And it's great to have on this podcast Mark Hicks, who's a chef and restaurateur and a fish specialist. Mark, who's wearing a fantastic T-shirt, I have to say. Um, tell us... Tell us about what I would do if I say I got my fish box from um, Fish for Dinner through the post and I wasn't quite sure what to do and I was confronted with a whole fish. Where would you start? Well, it depends. I mean, some people are a bit confident filleting fish. Uh, and of course, these days you can go on YouTube and sort of, you know, try and do it yourself. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, if it's a decent sized fish, I, I'd always recommend trying to cook it on the bone, really. Uh, because, you know, fish, most of the time is, you know, pretty much better that on the bone cooked on the bone than you know it is you know filleted okay so um, as a whole and also it's easier you know you can just literally season it put a bit of oil on it and 
put some herbs and sort of chuck it in the oven really so, and I've seen that lovely Instagram video of you putting it in your outdoor oven but suppose I'm just in, yeah. in a nice small flat in London and I haven't got an outdoor oven I can just put no, it in your normal oven, in your normal oven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and I don't uh, so, no exactly I mean okay you have to tackle the bones and things but you know fish have bones as does meat and uh, yeah better you know I think generally you'll have a better result you know just really hot oven maximum and just you know chuck it in and then if you are confident filleting then there's all sorts of things you can do with it i mean if, if, if you live on the coast and you've got access to you know sea vegetables or seashore vegetables like i have you know with sea spinach and wild fennel and all that sort of stuff uh you know you can uh, and even seaweed you know that's mm. washed up on the beach yeah. yeah it's a great thing to use to cook with and to eat afterwards fantastic i don't have any um wild wild fennel or wild seaweed where i live because actually i'm based in kent but i do have a lot of wild garlic yeah <laughs> so I must say, well, i'm very tempted do the same. my friend asked me the other day because I, I gave them a whole um pollock actually and now that's not a popular is, fish is it pollock not many no, people you pollock. know pollock is one of those sort of second third division fish which is becoming a little bit more popular mm. uh but i i, I you know for me i i, I like experimenting with those fish, you know, the second and third division ones, like the pouting today, uh, you know. What is a pouting, Mark? Well, a pouting is a, they, some of the fishermen call it a poor cod. So it's very, very abundant. Mm -hmm. uh, you normally get plagued with it when you're fishing for, you know, better species like bass and things. Mm -hmm. And you nearly always, always catch pouting. And, you know, anglers normally throw them back. Um, commercial fishermen normally keep them put them use them for their lobster pot and crab pots and i've sort of educated a couple of the local commercial guys uh, how to you know just take the top fillet off wash it in seawater on the boat and then use the heads and the you know the bones for their lobster pots so you get a meal out of it and you get some lobster pot bait fantastic and in terms of those second and third division fish which would be your favorite most unusual fish that people might have discarded and well, you know, eating. there's stuff like, you know, Gurnard has become quite popular over the years. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's on and off quite plentiful. Uh, obviously, mackerel, when it's in season, you know, is a very, very cheap fish to buy. Um, and if you fish yourself, you can, you know, get it for free and yeah. very, very tasty. So there's a lot of that fish that you wouldn't rest necessarily buy in a supermarket. And I'm not a big fan of buying fish from supermarkets because you don't really know how it it's been, you know, how long it's been hanging around for. Absolutely. And the whole point of the um, local fish for dinner campaign that Blue Marine are running is encouraging people to buy direct from the fishermen, either on shore if they can, or via mail order or via their websites. And yeah. I know you've done a lot to support Blue. Is, are your recipes actually as part of the Blue Marine's fish for dinner campaign? Can people find them on the website? And on Yeah, the they media? can do. Um, but the stuff today, actually, I did, I did five different recipes in 45 minutes, which are all pretty, you know, pretty simple, I suppose, really. And they're um, all on that Instagram feed, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the, the less complicated you make it, you know, especially with fresh fish, then the better, really. Yeah, fantastic. And any top tips for anybody who's just thinking about, you know, something they might have for dinner this weekend? Well, I mean, it depends what's on your doorstep and what's available, really. I don't know. I mean, I, I would just treat any fish really, really quite simple. You know, if it's a flat fish, uh, I wouldn't try and mess around filleting it, you know, try and cook it on the bone. You're much better off. Uh, and 
some some fish you know benefit from filleting like today i did the gurnard which mm. you know are nice it produces nice fillets uh, and if and also i think if you buy the cheaper sort of second third division fish you can practice your filleting skills and it's not going to be as expensive as trying to fill it a sea bass and messing the whole thing up you know so <laughs> That's a top tip. So practice on the cheaper yeah. fish until you get better. And then you might find you yeah. get stuck on the, fillet, the cheaper fish because you like them more. So exactly. Mark, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. And um, if anybody wants to follow Mark or see him in action with his marvellous fish, and I suspect wearing his fantastic T-shirt, um, pick him <laughs> up on the, on the Blue Marine um, Foundation Instagram feed because he's there in action. Thanks for joining us, Mark. We really appreciate it. And take care. All right. Pleasure. See you soon. It's been a fascinating conversation and obviously if you've been, uh, if your mouth is watering as a result of Mark's cooking, you probably want to get out there and order some local fish. I suggest you check out the Blue Marine website because um, all the contacts and all the connections are there and you can order directly for the, from the fishermen themselves. Joe and Morven, thank you both for um, sharing your passion for the sea and enlightening us as to exactly what's out there um, under the waves. Uh, as you say, that I said earlier, Morven, an amazing diversity of, of fish and ocean life. So thank you, Morven, and thank you, Joe. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. You can follow the work of Blue by visiting the website bluemarinefoundation.com or catching them on Instagram, Blue Marine Foundation. Fantastic recipes, pictures and things to see. This podcast has been brought to you by the team at Planet Pod. Thanks to our producer, Jim Hayward, and the production team at Blue Marine Foundation. La mer, qu'on voit danser.